We've been spending some time in the Old Testament in the story of the Exodus, the account of God's people being led from bondage in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And I'd like to read a section from Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to begin by reading at uh, verse 5. So the people of Israel, just to set the scene, have been granted permission by Pharaoh to leave slavery and head out to the promised land. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that they have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea besides Piharerot in front of Baal Zephon. Aren't you glad, Tim, that I had to read this and you didn't have to read it? But as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Of course, what happens after this is that God rescues them by dividing the sea and giving them a path out to freedom. And then here's verse 31 of Exodus 14. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Would you please bow with me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to consider his word. Now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, yes, challenge us. Give us wisdom from your word, how to live for you, to recognize your hand in our lives and to, to love it and glorify all your purposes. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. One of the earliest times that I returned to India after having left there as a boy, I landed in the airport and took a taxi to the hotel. And the taxi driver started out and there was a truck in front. And he was going kind of slow, but this truck was trying to pass another truck, which was lumbering, or, uh, lumbering along rather at an even slower pace. So truck passing truck. And my taxi driver decided to pass the truck that was passing the truck. So he went way over here and he's trying to pass the truck. And I, I'm just petrified. I'm filled with fear. What's, what's going on? Do I advise him? Do I have any right to advise him? Would it be wise to even distract him at this point from what he's trying to do? Let him do what he's doing. He's probably done this a thousand times. Let him go at it. And then as he's passing the truck, which is passing the truck, there's a car, oncoming traffic coming from the other side. 
And now my fingers are digging into the vinyl of the seat and I'm praying, God, you're still in charge. You're still in charge. And then something amazing happened. It wasn't that my taxi driver quit doing what he was doing, but the oncoming car pulled way off the side of the road and just watched the circus go past him. And everything was fine. And we continued on to the hotel. Some of you, I think, are in that position today with everything that's going on with this pandemic. You're digging your nails into the vinyl now. Some of you are frustrated. Why are they doing things the way they're doing them? And others are filled with fear, with uncertainty. Why aren't they doing more, you're wondering. And if you're paying attention, you know that this debate is going on. The truth is, others are making those decisions, and we're never really in the driver's seat. We're never completely in control. There's always someone leading us all through life. There's someone calling the shots. And those leaders that are calling the shots are prone to, well, foolishness and ignorance and error and sin, just like we are. So what do we do? Do we feel anger and panic and fear? Do we lose sleep? How does God want us to handle these kinds of days? How can we quiet our souls? So I'd like us to look at the children of Israel as they're making a journey out of bondage. And I'll make three quick points. The danger of thinking that our leaders are sovereign. And secondly, honoring, recognizing and honoring God's pattern for ruling over us. And thirdly, quieting our souls by worshiping God and his plan and his purposes. So let's start by looking at the children of Israel, facing a brand new challenge, by the way. This has never happened before. They're going from Egypt to Israel. And the temptation they face is to look at Moses and forget the great sovereign God who anointed Moses as their leader. When we face a new challenge, we need a leader. You know, a bureaucrat is great. Administrators are wonderful because they administrate or, or execute policies which are in place. But when you're doing something brand new, there is no policy. This has never been done before. So for facing the unknown, we always need a leader. You know, we need a Churchill or a Lincoln or a Moses, as in our text. This was the first time in history this has happened. It's, it's really the first time in their history, I mean, a massive migration of a nation going from Egypt all the way to the promised land, what we now call Israel. And there was no rule book for any of this. There was no one who could say, no problem, we've done this a thousand times, just follow me. This was completely new territory. A leader anointed by God and a people called to follow him. And the people had to ask themselves, do we trust him? When Moses was appointed, they were pointed to Moses by signs and wonders. But as things went on, the people began to focus not on the God who appointed Moses, but more and more on Moses. And their emotions, you'll see, went up and down with every changing circumstance because their eyes were in the wrong place. Uh, maybe I could just take you very quickly through this. Uh, remember we looked last week at Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 where God was actually 
appointing Moses to this task. And then he confirmed this choice before the people because Moses came and did wonders for them. He did a sign. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. Here's what the people did. So the people believed. So they see these signs. They believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed and worshipped. Oh, this is a wonderful scene. Begins on a high point like this. Well, what was Moses there to do? Well, they believed he was there to free them. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he makes his demand, let my people go. And Moses says, no way. In fact, he says, if you have time to worship as you're planning, you probably have time on your hands. So now you have to make bricks, but I'm not going to give you the elements to make the bricks. You have to find those elements. And so he makes it even harder for them. And the people hated Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 5. Let me just read a couple of verses. 20. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they, now these are the leaders of the Israelites, met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now they've turned against Moses. They've lost all faith in him. Well, you know what happened after this? Ten plagues. God broke the stubborn heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh finally allowed them to go. And now the Poles were registering high numbers for Moses. Everybody obeyed him. You, you can read what happens in Exodus chapter 12. They, they obeyed these odd instructions he gave for their last night in Israel, the Passover, putting the blood of a lamb on their doorposts and taking unleavened bread with them and, and taking silver and gold from the Egyptians. It says they believed him and they followed the instructions of Moses. Now they're all with him. But then the popularity sinks. Look at, uh, you can turn ahead now to Exodus chapter 13. They're heading out and they're starting to wonder, wait a minute, does this guy know the way to the promised land? Because he's not heading in a direct line straight for the promised land. Verse 17, Exodus 13. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land to the Philistines even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So here they were. They probably didn't understand this. I, I don't know if they would have understood it if Moses said, well, you know, God wants to protect you from war, so we're taking a way around, not the direct route. They probably would have said, no, not us. We're, we're ready to fight for our freedom. And then the worst thing happens from the point of view of a leader. A disaster comes upon them. Because of the route that was chosen, the one that the critics probably were, were wondering, made them wonder about Moses, it trapped the children of Israel. Pharaoh changed his mind, and he comes after them, and the children of Israel are trapped between the sea on one side and the armies of Egypt on the other. And they say, I told you so, Moses, I told you so. Why have you brought us here to die in the wilderness could have died in Egypt just as easily. They scream at him, and all faith in Moses crumbles. That's what I read, verses 
11 and 12, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? But wait, that's not the end of the story. Then God rescues them. The seas part, and God leads them to victory and destroys the armies of the Egyptians. And then Exodus 14, 31. Yeah, they believed in the Lord, and they believed in Moses. Now you notice that through all these episodes, God never changed. God was who God was, but their emotions were volatile. There was fear and panic at times, and other times, singing and dancing with joy. Why? Because their eyes were not on God, but their eyes were on a leader who was just like them. They could see he's just a man like us, as fallible as us, as prone to make mistakes as we are. Now, I, I think you can see the parallels I'm, I'm drawing to what we are facing today, aren't you? Uh, leaders are leaders, local, state, government leaders are leading us on a journey which this nation has never taken. Doing things that we've never done. And as wise as they might be, as intelligent as they might be, as well studied as they might be, we know that they're still groping in the dark. There's no rule book. There's no policy for how these things are supposed to be carried out. It's new. So we feel trapped. On one side, like the army of Egypt, is this army of viruses. They're attacking us and we feel the threat of illness. We feel the threat of permanent damage to our bodies as we're reading about from this illness. Or death. Or grief from the loss of loved ones. And on the other side is the sea. The sea which is all the dangers of economic collapse. No food, no jobs, businesses evaporating. And we're saying to our leaders, why have you brought us here? Why did you choose this path? What made you think that? Panic fills us, fear, but also frustration, also anger. And we're prone, like Israel, to forget that behind all the leaders, there's a sovereign God who leads so Romans chapter 13, verse 1, is, for me, it's like a bracing slap in the face. Here's what it says. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Uh, a statement repeated, for example, in 1 Timothy 2.13 and elsewhere in Scripture. So that's my first point. There's a temptation to look away from the sovereign God and to look at human leaders. Here's the second point, and it may seem odd, but this is God's pattern. This is the way God has organized society, organized us as human beings. He leads us through frail leaders by investing his authority in them. So all our leaders, and really if you think about it, in every sphere, in every phase of our life, are frail and sinful and beset by ignorance, and they're always uh, prone to make foolish choices. Admit it. I mean, think about candidates that you've supported, that you've been enthusiastic about. 
none of them have ever completely satisfied us. There's always notes of disappointment in what they do. And yet, this is God's arrangement. This is the way God has set things up. It glorifies him. So leaders do the wisest thing that they can think of doing. But they're always dealing with incomplete information. So in some ways, they're always groping their way forward in the dark. They're, they're like Columbus making his way uh, to the new world across uncharted oceans. He has nothing to follow. Sometimes the clouds darken the sky so that even the stars don't guide him. And you can imagine the crew, how hard it is for the crew to trust someone like that. You know, he's a good man. He knows a lot about sailing, but I think this is beyond him. I don't think he knows what he's doing. I was thinking of uh, the Prime Minister of England during World War II, Winston Churchill, especially because this past week, as you know, was the 75th anniversary of uh, the victory in Europe, victory over Nazi Germany. Interesting man, very talented man in many ways. He led uh, Britain, Great Britain, through World War II. He, he had a wonderful way of speaking and encouraging them. He told them the truth, sometimes tamping down their enthusiasm when it was not appropriate. After an early victory in World War II, he said, this is not the end is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. A little bit of encouragement, but hang on, we have a lot of work to do. During the war, people loved him. His polls never sank below 78% approval. But the war being over, they held an election. And to the surprise of everyone, he suffered a stunning defeat. The Lord or the people rather, judged him to be a great leader in wartime, but not fitting for peacetime. And that's the way it is. People change their minds with circumstances. The people have leaders who they lionize one day and throw on the, uh, on the trash heap the next. And it's true of all leaders. We judge them because we see their frailties. We see that they're like us, maybe too much like us. So they're just ordinary men and just ordinary women. But God, Scripture says, invests his authority in them. And all through life, every day of our lives, in every situation, there are leaders like that that we have to deal with. In small and big things, we have leaders that we have to deal with. Right from the beginning. This is Mother's Day. And some of the strongest leaders we ever have to deal with is our moms. They rule us from the day of our birth. Imagine their tyranny. It's time for bed. It's time to eat. I'm going to let you cry for 10 minutes and I'm going to set the clock. No broccoli, no dessert. It's time for potty training. No more diapers. They rule with an iron fist. My, ma, my, my wife, rather, was just saying yesterday, I can't believe God gives children to parents. And she was thinking about herself because Mother's Day was approaching. Can't believe God entrusts us with children. These tiny little things. They don't come with like a quick start manual or anything. They're, they're just there in the hospital. Here's a little baby. Oh, be careful. Their neck is as brittle as a little twig. So you have to support their head. And oh, here, feel up here. See the head? See how it's soft? 
Right now, between your hand and the baby's brain, there's nothing but this little membrane. But here, take the baby, you'll do fine. It's amazing. They entrust, God entrusts this baby into our hands. It's so nice when the nurses do everything, you know. You just get to hold them, but then you have to take them home. There's no rule book, really. I know we read books, but none of them are exactly what tell us what to do. We're more like Churchill or like Columbus. Every mom is going through uncharted territory. Every mom is learning as she goes. So the little babies grow, and actually it becomes more complex as they grow. They get a mind of their own. We just really don't know what to do. When, what is the rule? When can they pierce their ears? What friends can he have over, and when? What's the, the right thing? And is it really worth fighting over broccoli? And should I just let her wear her tutu for church? These are hard questions, and there's no rule book. It's all uncharted territory. And moms have to navigate. They're leaders. Moms are leaders. They're appointed by God. But, interestingly, we know this, they're frail, aren't they? They're groping in the darkness. They fail. They're just like us. And then there's teachers. Teachers enter into the child's life, and somehow a teacher implicitly gets more trust from the child than mom or dad. I, I don't know how that makes moms feel, but it can't be good. I, I remember, I don't know, must have been around eighth grade, uh, my science teacher announced one day in class that a camera is unable to capture an image from a mirror. I said, oh, that's very interesting. So at dinner that night, I told my mom that. Did you know that a camera can't take a picture of an image in a mirror? She laughed, oh, that's stupid. She was a photography buff. She says, I have lots of pictures of images in mirrors. I said, no, you can't. You don't know what you're talking about. He's a teacher. He knows a lot more than you. And he said, it's impossible to do that. She said, I have lots of... So we argued for a while. The next day, Mr. Nelson, the science teacher, rather sheepishly admitted that he'd made a mistake that he had mixed up the characteristics of virtual and real images and, and optics. But, you know, we trust teachers. Sometimes we forget that they also are fallible human leaders. I know several young people who have thrown away the faith they learned from their mothers because they say, you know, my, my professor says that this is for ignorant and superstitious people. And he's really smart, so I trust him. So, yes, it's God's pattern. It's God's pattern all through life, from the beginning till the end, to have leaders over us. And these leaders are fallible. They're prone to error, sinful, just like we are. So here's my third point. How then do we quiet our souls before our great God? We're ruled by fallible leaders, how can we quiet our souls? How do we honor God? How do we worship him? When those whom he's appointed over us sometimes frustrated us. It's been challenging for us, hasn't it? I, I've been listening to debates not just uh, on the news and uh, in, on the web, but from you, from brothers and sisters. We're divided on this. Christians have various views on how things should go. Some some think we need to do a whole lot more to protect ourselves from the virus, where others think 
think we have gone way overboard and we're damaging ourselves irreparably. Good reasons, good thinking on both sides. But here's what God's people agree on. How do we quiet our souls? Here's what God's people agree on. We want God's purposes honored. This is fundamental because God's glory is his primary concern. We want to glorify him. So how do we do that? Well, let me just talk about it in general because we understand that glorifying God in other controversial areas is critical. When it comes to areas like morality, what's right and wrong, when it comes to areas like sexuality and gender, we know that we have to glorify God. When it comes to issues like racial justice or the environment, we have to submit to God's purposes because that's what glorifies him. So let me give you why we think this and how we think that. Just three quick points. Three quick points. Why is it that glorifying God means submitting to his purposes? And how do Christians think about this and apply it in general? Well, first of all, it's very simple. We believe there is a God. There is a creator. He made everything that exists. And everything that exists, therefore, has his purpose behind it. Bees have God's purpose. Trees and seas have God's purpose behind it. Sexuality, gender, marriage has a purpose that God has put on it. Race and ethnicity and culture has a purpose that God has put in it. God's the creator. And he made everything with a purpose. And here's the second point. We understand that to live wisely, this makes so much sense, that to live wisely, we have to discover God's purpose and we have to honor God's purpose. How else can we live wisely? We have to honor that purpose even if it disagrees with how we feel. We have to honor that purpose even if it disagrees with our desires. We have to honor that purpose even if it means our businesses will make less profit. We have to honor that purpose even if it means our jobs or our careers will not advance as quickly. That's what it means to glorify God. I am intent on honoring God's purposes. And then thirdly, we believe with solid reasons that God has revealed his purposes in the Bible. You see, that, that's the way we think. And now we come to leaders, frail, prone to error leaders, and we come to God's word. It says in Romans 13, all authority is from God. All authority is from God. And so just as we worship him with our bodies when a man and a woman are faithful to each other in marriage. Just as we honor him and just as we glorify him by honoring everyone of every age, of every race, because we recognize that they're made in the glorious image of God, just so we worship God by honoring those and obeying those who are in authority over us. It's an act of worship to God. That's what his word tells us. This is his pattern. This is the way he's organized society. And every leader is frail. Every leader is prone to error. The Bible also says that. So what does that mean? How do we calm our hearts when always and at every level and from the beginning of our lives till the end, we're led by leaders who are as weak as we are, as fallible as we are, as ignorant as we are, as prone to sin and error as we are? Well, what do we do? I think, I think we should discuss these things. I think we should write letters to congressmen and presidents and governors. I think we should study. I think we should vote 
the way we want. But everything should be done with peace, knowing that God, our Father, still rules. It wasn't Moses that rescued Israel. At times, they looked at him and they forgot about God. It was God. You know, several times in the Psalms, there are songs of praise for what God did in the history of Israel. Psalm 105 is one of those that recounts the history of Israel. And when it comes to the Exodus, it says, He, God, see, this is the emphasis, He brought forth His people with joy, His chosen ones with a joyful shout. God did this, not Moses. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He's in charge. He's the real king. So we honor mothers today. And there's, you know, there's many sweet and warm expressions of love being expressed. And I, I think it's important to do that. But we know that mothers are also frail. I think mothers know that best of all. They're prone to error. But that's God's pattern. God uses frail vessels to show his glory. Clay vessels, 2 Corinthians 4 says, to demonstrate that the glory is from him. I like the honest expression some greetings for Mother's Day have used. You know, I, I don't know, moms, have you ever, ever lost your temper? I know you hardly ever do, but has it ever happened if you think back? Here's what one greeting said. Thank you for giving me life, and thank you for not taking it back in my teen years. I think I understand that. I, I like this too. A mom as great as you is harder to find than toilet paper. A good greeting for these days, isn't it? So what do we do? Trusting God, I trust God. Yes, completely and absolutely. Trusting people, I'm not so sure. Trusting our leaders, I'm not so sure. That's the conflict. That's the difficulty we face. And yet those leaders are put in place by the same God that we trust. God governs our lives through leaders right from the beginning. Parents, teachers, coaches, and right till the very end. A friend who is older is living with his son and uh, daughter-in-law and their family, and you know they're very concerned about him being exposed to this virus. So they keep a close eye on him. They're really parenting him. And he said, if I even start to head for the door, my son says, oh, and where are we going? become a dad to his dad, hasn't he? So what do we do? Voice your ideas. Voice your opinions. Think and talk because God has given you a mind. And pray. Pray with confidence. Isn't it wonderful that our sovereign God is actually ruling? And he's a God who hears our prayers. But let quietness and peace rule over you because your eyes are focused not on our earthly leaders, but on the one who indeed rules heaven and earth. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your rule over heaven and earth, that you are sovereign, that you are the king who does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, and that it's your pleasure to love us and bless us, your people. We do pray for our leaders. God, guide them. Use them to accomplish your gracious purposes, Lord. Have mercy on them and have mercy on our nation and on the nations of the world. But quiet your people, Lord. Quiet us, we pray.
Let us show in our quietness our firm trust in you as our King, our true King. All this we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our world is like a stormy ocean and we're in a tiny boat tossed this way and that way with every changing circumstance. And we, we try to calm our fears by in some way gaining control, but we never have control over our lives. Never completely. Never. There's always somebody leading us one way or the other. Psalm 131 says, I, I don't involve myself in matters too great for me. I've quieted my soul like a child resting against his mother. So that's my blessing. May God quiet your souls and give you rest as you trust in King Jesus and his rule over all of our lives. Amen.